Hey y'all, welcome to the Visit Roswell podcast where we talk all things tourism and hospitality related in Roswell, Georgia. We will be interviewing our partners all throughout the community and hopefully inspiring you to plan a trip to visit Roswell at your natural pace. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, this is Andy Williams with Visit Roswell, and welcome back to another episode of Crafting Roswell. And uh, today, we are very excited to have our Historic Assets Manager with Roswell's Recreation Parks Historic and Cultural Affairs Department. Um, this is Dina Bush, and I'm not going to steal Dina's thunder. She's going to go in through, uh, into a number of different uh, responsibilities and roles that she has. Um, and very important ones too, to uh, protecting the integrity of, of our historic assets and, and what that all means to Roswell. So uh, Dina, it is a pleasure to have you. Welcome on. Uh, <clears throat> thank you so much, Andy. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, thank you for that introduction. Uh, and thank you for doing this podcast. I appreciate you highlighting the historic assets and their role in tourism. You got it. Absolutely. So we're looking forward to talking uh, about a number of different things. And uh, I think our, our listeners are going to find this to be some pretty robust information that we'll go into and some great updates that are on the way. But uh, before we get into all that, give us a little bit of background on yourself, kind of where you've come from um, that really kind of led you into your position um, as the historic assets manager for the city of Roswell. Sure. Well, I'm a public history professional uh, with 20 years of experience in preservation, museum education, and operations. Um, I hold a master's degree in public history and previously worked for organizations such as West Florida Historic Preservation Trust and the Southern Museum of Civil War and Locomotive History. Um, now, one of the questions I get all the time is, what exactly is public history? Um, it is simply the practice of history outside of the classroom, the academic classroom, and it encompasses many different fields such as archival work, genealogy, or even preservation. So there's quite a bit to it. Um, the bulk of my early career started in Pensacola, Florida, where I focused on museum education and operations. Um, the organization managed a house museum and museum complex in the downtown area of Pensacola consisting of around 15 properties and various sites. Um, I really enjoyed that experience because I was able to hone my skills with interpretation and education events during that time. Um, I am a Georgia girl and I was looking for a chance to relocate back to Georgia. And that's where I took the position with the Southern Museum um, as Director of Operations, where I was able to focus more on administration uh, and operations um, overall. Uh, now, what drew me to Roswell and the position of Roswell really was the opportunity to work with um, historic homes and sites. I, I really missed that. I missed the physical spaces and the material culture of collections and artifacts within that historic context. You know, there's nothing like being in the original space in which to inform history and in which to engage uh, the public. And what has always fascinated me is observing how people interact with historic sites and structures and subsequently why they may or may not assign value uh, to their experiences. And it's okay either way because we're all different. I'm always fascinated in that process. Um, I, yeah. Yeah. And just open up to that conversation and hear what people think about it. And for me, when I came to interview the, for the position, 
Um, it was very clear that Roswell as a community values their historic properties and was excited about the opportunity to join that journey and to hopefully contribute to their advancement because I've seen what historic assets can contribute to a community. I love these houses, love the story, and really am enjoying engaging with them. Yeah, and I can uh, speak freely for sure. Uh, Dina, you were a, a gem of a get for uh, for Roswell, so we uh, love having you on board, that's for sure. Uh, thank you, I appreciate that. You got it. Well, all right, let's um let's kind of give our listeners the lay of the land with regard to the specific historic assets that you supervise and that the city of Roswell owns, because, um, you know, I think everybody immediately goes to to the homes, which are obviously a, a big portion of it, but you have more responsibility than that. So what does that all look like? Uh, well, that's a very good point, because I would like to say that this position is actually new for the city. Um, I've been in this position for two years um, and it is a new one for the department. So as you just mentioned, at this time, I, I certainly supervise and oversee the three 19th century homes that are open to the public on a regular basis. These are the antebellum homes, uh, meaning that they predate the Civil War, uh, being built in the late 1830s and 40s. Uh, this is Barrington Hall, Bullock Hall, and Smith Plantation. And these homes are significant because they represent the founding story of Roswell and our beginning history as a city. Um, beyond that, the obvious as to what you're pointing to, uh, you know, the city just purchased Mimosa Hall and Gardens about four years ago, and I am working on um, its current development uh, for public use with other stakeholders. Um, but I always like to kind of teasingly say as well that I have a touch point on all things quote unquote historic and help where I can. Um, so this includes the Old Mill Machine Shop at Bickery Creek, Doc's Cafe development on Oxbow, um, historic cemeteries, and anywhere else where I may be in service. Right. Yep. That's great. Well, kind of shifting gears a little bit, but still in theme with those. Let's talk about the actual updates to how the historic assets are, are, are structured, um, because I know, uh, you know, Dean, I've seen you present on a number of different things, um, certainly with Doc's Cafe, but, you know, but also I think the pandemic has uh, really opened up some opportunities to kind of even rethink how tours are given and, and things of that nature. So, has anything changed with regard to how tours are offered within, within the homes and the assets? And what can visitors now expect to see a little bit differently? Sure, that's a, a great question. I appreciate you asking it. Um, we have been through quite a bit um, this past year. COVID, I think, pushed the issue on many things, but it was also a chance for reflection and how we're going to get back into these houses and what shifts or adjustment we may need to make for a from a customer service standpoint. And um, our focus this past year continues to be operational enhancements and improvements. Um, one of the biggest changes we incorporated over this past year was the concept of a self-guided cell phone tour option inside the homes, focusing on having an open door policy as much as possible. Whereas previously, visitors need to be at the front door for a guided tour option only at very specific times. Um, otherwise, they would not necessarily be able to get in or right. really know what was happening. Um, we've now opened up the houses with a couple of options. Um, if you're one of those guests that enjoy going at your own pace, perhaps taking your time, but not necessarily wishing to engage with the tour guide, maybe you're short on time, 
um, we still have, we now have that flexible opportunity with a cell phone tour, or even if you just want to come in and visit and look around. Um, we do still offer a guided tour, um, and docents and staff in the house are always present to answer questions and provide information. Um, at this time, we are changing options with the understanding that, you know, people learn in different ways. Right. They have different preferences when it comes to visiting museums. Uh, one of our guidelines, so to speak, moving forward is to recognize that individuals will approach these houses and sites in different ways and with different perspectives. You know, we wish to acknowledge that there are difficult subject matters surrounding the history of the sites as well. And one of our goals as we continue to develop is we wish to do so um, as respectfully as possible for the guest, making sure that we allow them space to engage as they wish and uh, being open to dialogue. Absolutely, absolutely. And I know that's, a, that's certainly a big topic and uh, you know, a lot of different museums and historic assets throughout the country are really having to reflect on that and um, figure out a way to move forward. Uh, with how to accurately depict that information. So that's that's great to see as well. Um, and so Dina, can you actually also hit on a little bit about the grounds themselves? Because I, I think too, a lot of people, when they think of the homes that are available for touring, they think, okay, I'm gonna buy a ticket, you know, online and, and I'm gonna go in and I'm gonna do my tour, whether it's guided or whether it's, um, you know, through the cell phone at, at my own pace. So. But a lot of people, I don't, you know, I, I still think don't realize that the grounds themselves fall under uh, Roswell's Rec and Parks uh, Department. And so are those accessible to the general public, say, if they want to come in and have a picnic or just take a stroll around the property without entering the homes? Sure, uh, definitely. Um, the grounds of Barrington Hall, Bullock Hall and Smith Plantation are all open to the public during daylight hours from dawn to dusk. Uh, technically, if you want to get really technical, um, I think they are not considered a park and they're not under the supervision of the parks division of the department nor the recreation commission. Um, however, the local public certainly utilize them as an informal park and green space. Um, I do foresee that any future development or planning we may do will certainly value the, the balance of protecting the properties as part of the National Register and as being anchors within the historic district with that public activity in use. Um, I love the fact that the public enjoy the grounds and utilize it for recreational purposes, whether it's to walk the, their dog or to your point, bring a picnic blanket and enjoy some lunch, you know, enjoy the gardens, you're more than welcome to do so. Um, I will say this, uh, let me say this, I think that as historic assets, we're very fortunate to operate underneath the broader recreation parts, historic and cultural affairs department. I mean, we're talking about a nationally recognized and accredited department that has years of maintenance, development, program, and event experience, and many historic assets throughout the country uh, do not have access to the same resources, and so I think we're very fortunate here in Roswell regarding that matter. And uh, I really do look forward to future development of the grounds uh, for public use and, and what that may mean. Right, absolutely. Well, and you kind of just hit on a little something, which is a nice little transition into our next question. Uh, you know, you talked about the events and we know Roswell Rec and Parks, um, Historic and Cultural Affairs does an amazing job with a number of different events and educational opportunities throughout the city. So can you elaborate on the different, for example, exhibits and programs that rotate throughout the homes? 
Um, yes, that's a great question, and I'll, I'll try to be as brief as possible. Um, let me preface by saying that as a staff, we are working to bring the three individual houses um, under one operation. Um, this is with the expectation and intent to prepare staff with the knowledge of all the houses across the board to better operate from a customer service standpoint, to tell these stories, and part of that is ongoing development of programs and events. Uh, we want to make sure that we're showcasing uh, the strength of each of the properties and provide the diverse programming for the community. Um, so let me share a couple of things that we do have coming up. Um, this summer, you know, Rex and Parks, uh, we're known for our camp series during the summer. Uh, we are participating in that. We will have a kids summer camp uh, July 12th through the 16th called Roswell Frontier House Camp. Um, this camp will explore not only the three historic homes, but also the old mill machine shop at Vickery Creek, where we will be learning about the Georgia Gold Rush and discovering water power in the mills. So a little bit of science thrown in there. Um, we also have open hearth cooking demonstrations at Smith Plantation, the second and fourth Saturdays of the month. Um, I suggest that you come either midday or early afternoon because cooking on a hearth fire is a long process. Mm -hmm. um, our living interpreter, history interpreter, Clarissa Clifton, does a great job of talking guests through the process. Uh, she cooks full meals, even baking pies and cakes. Uh, and this is currently free to the public, um, but just a quick disclaimer, um, we do not typically hand out the food for consumption, just mm -hmm. for safety purposes, but it's still a fascinating demonstration to watch though, and I always learn something. Um, in the fall and winter, something we're trying to develop uh, is continue to work with the Smithsonian Museum Day Alive in September and Georgia Museum Day in February. Um, these are being developed as free museum days for the community with educational activities for families uh, with a particular focus on homeschool families. Um, and then please don't forget we have fall farm, excuse me, fall farm day at Smith Plantation. Try saying that three times fast. Uh, yeah. Fall Farm Day in October, which coincides with the Youth Day Parade in Roswell. Um, and lastly, let me throw this out there. Um, I would like to mention that we do have a new exhibit in uh, Bullock Hall. Uh, this is a conjunction with the Roswell Historical Society, and the exhibit is called A Garden Affair, What to Wear. Uh, this is a clothing textile display on the first floor that celebrates the history and tradition of garden parties. Um, I think guests will really get a kick out of viewing, you know, the changing fashion from the early 1910s to the 1960s, and it's a wonderful chance to highlight some of the unique pieces managed and cared for by the Historical Society. Um, and this exhibit will be up until August 29th. And um, overall, just to give your audience a, a better understanding, uh, we are evaluating our collections and our interpretation to be able to produce new themes and new opportunities. Um, this will serve to highlight collection pieces and stories that perhaps have not been shared before. And we aim to respectfully broaden our interpretation and just tell these stories in as holistic manner as possible. Awesome. Yeah, that's great to hear. And uh, you guys are doing a great job, obviously, with, uh, with keeping things moving and reevaluating and, and thinking you know, about the future and what that looks like and how to accurately depict everything to uh, perhaps even a, a new you know, traveler, visitor, uh, and even resident that's coming in to uh, experience the homes and everything that they have to offer. So 
Great job. Um, well, I know one of the things too, and Jeff, when we had him on several months ago, elaborated on this, but maybe just a quick update on where we are with Mimosa Hall. Okay, so, um, you know, always the million dollar question, what's the, <laughs> the grand plan for Mimosa Hall in the grounds? Um, I, I think everyone is aware, but I'm not going to make an assumption, um, but just so everyone is aware, so far, the plan is to develop Mimosa Hall and grounds as a an event venue and meeting place for unique and specialized gatherings. Um, this could be, for example, corporate meetings, book clubs, teas to small classical music concerts, performance arts, art showcases, um, as well as lectures uh, with the support and vision of Friends of Mimosa Hall and Gardens. And to borrow their catchphrase, uh, we hope that Mimosa Hall becomes Roswell's quote unquote meeting place. Um, the aim that guides us is to foster thoughtful opportunities for diverse points of dialogue and conversation, as well as to provide these experiences that showcase cultural arts. And this could be from culinary, music, performance arts, and always with the inclusion of history. Uh, we do not want to use, lose that foundation. Um, I would like to like the audience to know that Mimosa Hall project, it's very large in scale. Um, we will soon be finishing certificate of occupancy for the first floor, and we'll continue to work with the friends of Mimosa Hall to further develop the house and grounds for public access. Uh, the city is working to grant further public access to the site as quickly as possible. Um, and I just continue to be excited um, about its potential, both as a green space for enjoyment, as well as unique events and rentals and even uh, potential uh, festivals. Um, the Friends of Mimosa <clears throat> Holland Gardens just recently finished installing a solar panel roof, uh, making progress to designate Mimosa Hall as the oldest net zero energy house in the country, which is a fascinating story. Um, if your listeners are interested, I encourage them to Google Friends of Mimosa Holland Gardens. They can visit their website for updated information and, and learn more. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah, that's a big, big, big project and something that um, you know, obviously we're getting a lot of attention for. So I would encourage uh, our listeners to take a look at that and do a little research and really just kind of take a look at all the steps involved to get to that level. Um, and it's uh, pretty exciting stuff. And of course, on the Visit Roswell side, being able to promote, you know, uh, Mimosa Hall for those meetings and those different um, opportunities uh, excites us as well. Um, so, Dina, let's uh, let's talk a little bit too about how the homes are being utilized for special events, and if you anticipate special events really kind of being woven throughout the the structure of the homes moving forward. Uh, yes, I absolutely anticipate special events moving forward. Um, I think the Recreation and Parks Department is known for their events, and I look forward to further developing our own to support that initiative. Um, our next sizable event, and now that we're coming out of COVID and I'm quickly trying to pull this together, um, is actually going to be a July 3rd event at Barrington Hall. Um, this will be a twilight dinner and concert event to, to, take, to take place on the front yard from 5 to 7 p.m. And I am quickly trying to finalize the details for marketing, but this will be a ticketed event and please stand by for information very soon. Um, which will be released via social media and also on our website, southerntrilogy.com. 
Um, I also would just like to say, you know, we traditionally have held uh, Roswell Lavender Festival at Barrington Hall, and I've already mentioned Fall Farm Day at Smith Plantation. Um, directly before COVID, um, I was working to start a Roswell Earth Fair Festival uh, to celebrate Earth Day uh, between Mimosa Hall and Bullock Hall. Uh, needless to say, um, yes, we are looking for ways to develop the grounds and area to better support uh, special events, um, whether it's our own or even through private companies, private individuals. Um, so in terms of the, the planning and development, that is certainly part of it. Great, great. Good to know. Good to hear. And of course, Visit Roswell, look forward to partnering with you all and spreading the information about any of those things taking place. Um, Thank you. And y'all do a great job about that, Andy, and wonderful partners. So we really appreciate it. Appreciate that. Absolutely. Um, well, Dina, you and I also serve on the Mayor's Movie Task Force together. And you, you know, just as, as well as anybody else, that we have seen this massive uptick in film opportunities year over year. And we feel like we're really starting to hit our stride with bringing in, I would say, film productions of all shapes, sizes, budgets, talent levels, uh, you name it. And um, that obviously we think that's going to continue to grow and uh, keep its momentum. So are the homes available for filming opportunities? You know, are the, are the other historic assets available? How do you vet film projects and determine what is or isn't a good fit? Sure. Um, well, the houses are available for filming opportunities, and I am very much working towards supporting a film-ready, film-friendly Roswell. Um, you know, the Visitor Center and your team have done a great job at your research and pulling together the infrastructure and the needs to make this work. And I'm, I'm very happy to be part of uh, that process. Um, it is a learning curve. I think one thing that we've learned over the past year or two, that's very much a learning curve. And I, you know, we're still working on that in terms of the assets. And it's the ability of accommodating various sizes of productions and how that works best for both parties and trying to be as flexible as possible. Um, there are always many questions when it comes to filming on historic sites, because typically, you know, our first priority is to protect the collections and protect the asset. Right. However, I certainly see uh, the value in the industry and am repositioning ourselves to say yes as much as possible. You know, I, I want to say yes as much as possible, understanding that the profession uh, requires much flexibility for execution and success. So the vetting process usually centers on um, operational impact and collections protection. You know, what we can do to do that. Um, what do they need access to and, and what are their goals uh, for filming? Um, and I'm also sensitive, you know, to the subject matter as well. Um, understanding the background of these houses and what they may represent within a film distribution. So that's just something we always have in the back of the head. But you know, long story short, I am definitely um, happy to be part of that conversation. I see the value and we are making progress on that. So like I said, yes, we are available for filming opportunities. I want to say yes as much as possible. Yeah, that's great to hear. That's uh, certainly one of the things that we've learned early on in really working with these, these film productions and producers. It's just having very thorough dialogue and constant right. communication and um, 
you know, not lay, leaving anything really kind of up in the air or ambiguous. Uh, the more we know, the more they know, the better we're able to move the process forward and, um, and keep all parties satisfied in the way that best uh, represents Roswell. So I uh, appreciate you saying that and totally sure. agree. Well, you know, he, let's shift gears a little bit too. We typically, when we have somebody, uh, a guest come on to the podcast, we give them the opportunity to perhaps talk about something that the average customer or patron um, attendee may not know. So what is one mm -hmm. thing about the historic homes, the assets, um, your particular role that you'd like to share with our listeners uh, that they may not have a clear understanding about, or maybe it's something out of the blue that they may be not even considered? Oh, um, well, you know, I think that there are different ways I could go with that question. Um, I think I tend to go perhaps a little bit more philosophical, mm -hmm. understanding that we want to be a contribution to the community. Um, but, you know, people have different opinions on history and historic assets. Um, and so, you know, the thing that comes to mind is I would say that historic assets impact us, whether we realize it or not. And they do add value to our communities. Um, Roswell is in such a fortunate position in that we have so many protected historic assets and in which other cities only try to emulate or imitate. You know, I could easily go into the economic and development argument for historic preservation. Uh, but again, I always tend to try to go uh, more personal. Um, you know, in the beginning of my comments, I expressed, I think, of how I'm always interested in the ways in which people assign or associate meaning with their visits and, and with historic assets. Um, there's a great book by Thompson M. Mays um, called Why Old Places uh, Matter. Mm -hmm. uh, and in it, Mr. Mays, he talks about how these places affect our well-being. Historic assets and historic sites affect our well-being. Um, I think we've all realized this past year that they can become lightning rods for identity um, and meaning, our sense of place, who we are. Um, even our aesthetics. Um, I, I think I would ask your listeners um, to consider these historic sites with an openness and a curiosity. Uh, personally, you know, there's a unique sense of continuity and comfort walking in spaces that were built almost 200 years ago uh, by individuals long gone, uh, but we still see that presence. Um, you know, I think it's up to each generation to determine the next chapter of their story, but we're only one part of it. And it's only for a short time that we are their caretakers, um, you know, deciding how these assets will be left to the next generation. Um, you know, I feel very fortunate to be a part of that. And, you know, I really do appreciate you highlighting them today. Um, so I think I would just like to leave it with uh, your listeners of um, utilize it as you wish. We want to be as open as possible and provide that space. Um, and always approach with curiosity and, you know, what this means on a bigger scale. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there and we appreciate that for sure. And this has been a great conversation. Um, we've covered a number of different things. We've gone into, you know, a great amount of detail on uh, some things that are changing, what's upcoming, coming out of the pandemic, what that all looks like. So, this is, um, has been fantastic, and I want to make sure we also, Dina, give you the opportunity to let our listeners know where they can go to get more information, um, you know, how they go about purchasing tickets to take tours, and particularly where they can follow you all on social media um, to keep up with everything that's going on. 
Of course. Well, our main website is southerntrilogy.com, southerntrilogy.com, um, which is connected through the City of Roswell website and the Recreation and Parks Historic and Cultural Affairs um, website. Um, so you can uh, find it that way. Also through the Roswell uh, Recreation and Parks uh, social media, um, you can follow that on social media and we will pop up. Um, occasionally with coverage and announcements. But really go ahead and, and Google Southern Trilogy. And uh, again, thank you so much, Andy, for the conversation. Greatly appreciate it. Thank you for um, the time and, and highlighting these, these wonderful assets in history. So I, I greatly appreciate it. You got it. It's been a pleasure having you on. And for all of our listeners, uh, you know, stay tuned for the next episode of Crafting Roswell for more information on visiting Roswell, uh, places to dine, special events to attend, places to stay, and everything in between. Check out visitroswellga.com. It's been a pleasure being on this, uh, this episode, and we look forward to catching you next time. Thanks so much, everyone.